Today's episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hi there, you are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling and this is the show that I produce in Sydney, Australia, where I speak to leading guitarists and guitar figures. And also we have the Iconic Albums series. And for that, I'm joined by my friends, Rob Rhodes. Hey, Matt. Hey, Gabor. And Gabor Jessica. Hey, Matt. Hey, Rob. Great to see you guys. And this show's been running, I don't know, since about June, July 2021. And uh, we review some of the favourite albums in our collections. And it's been such a fun series to do. And oh, yeah. uh, we're still going. Now, today's episode's a little different. We're not talking about a particular album, um, but we're talking about our favourite Beatles guitar moments. In fact, the year 2021's been pretty, uh, pretty, pretty bad, but two fantastic things that have happened. Uh, number one, the iconic album series. Oh, yeah. And, oh. Um, Top shelf. <laughs> Top shelf. <laughs> and number two, a nice fresh dose of Beatlemania, which I think was was due for everyone all around the world. So uh, a couple of things really spearheaded that. There was the 321 McCartney special on Netflix with Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney, which was just a beautiful, beautiful Amazing. show. Amazing. Yeah. It was great, yeah. And Peter Jackson's much-lauded Get Back series has relatively recently dropped on oh, yeah. uh, Disney or Hulu or whatever you're watching Disney it Plus, through. Yeah. Disney Plus, plus. So, yeah, a lot of people really excited about the Beatles again for good reason. Now, a couple of months ago, I was floating the idea of doing a Beatles album for Iconic Albums, and um, I foolishly went to Facebook and I said, what's the best Beatles guitar album and Hi. and just people were just shouting at me on their keyboard <laughs> saying Turn your caps off, people. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the, the consensus was, well, duh, all of them. Yeah. And I had to say, Yeah, you're right. Okay. So Come maybe on, Matt, um, didn't you know that? That's yeah. maybe we should do a world record attempt for the longest podcast about the Beatles. Now we can talk about all of them. Yeah, totally. totally. We could just <laughs> That could be. That could How be long does it have to be? How I don't know. Probably only seventeen hours or something. We can yeah. do it. I've got I've got my incontinence pants on. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> That's from you. You've got them left over from your years of training as an astronaut. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> In the Austrian space station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we're going to do for today's episode, we've got the top twelve Beatles guitar moments as adjudicated by ourselves. We've made oh, this yeah. up ourselves. Um, researching our own um, hearts, really, our own hearts and heads and minds. Disclaimer, these aren't in order. Disclaimer, these are not in order. Are no. they? 
Did you well, put them in? If if they are in order, Matt put them in order. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> send your uh, send your send hate mail to Matt Wakeling, care of the Guitar Speak podcast. For, for, for the first time ever, I can say that. <laughs> My four are the top four, and just the rest of them, just work it out. All right, we're going to jump straight in. We've got 12 moments uh, we want to talk about. First one is um, A Hard Day's Night. Two, two parts of that song. First of all, the opening chord, which is remarkable. And second of all, George Harrison's double speed solo. So let's talk about that opening chord first. It's such a fantastic introduction. It's the start of the album, of course. The third studio album from the Beatles came out in 1963. But it was also the opening of the film by the same name, which was released in 1964. And George Martin, I'm paraphrasing, but uh, he said he wanted a really... um, striking introduction for both the film and the album and they came up with this chord i think they did well <laughs> i think they succeeded yeah. can Absolutely. i just very quickly just 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 because yeah, with the beatles and i mean especially you saying you know this is the the, the feature film 1963 came out in 1964 hmm. i mean the thing that that i think a lot of people maybe don't realize because i you know talking to my wife and all this about you know doing this podcast I mean, the Beatles were together for seven years. I mean, Insane. they released 13 albums in seven years. The first being in 1963, and by 64, they were the biggest band in the world. I mean, just the insanity yeah. of that. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And, and they were like 2021 20, when that happened. And when the band broke up in 1970... They were all under thirty. I mean, yeah. just that. Just I just just that, that's just absolute mind blownness yeah. of that. Just to, I just wanted to throw that in there because I mean, just that is insane what they achieved in a few years. Oh yeah, absolutely. As absolutely. guys in their twenties, I mean. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to throw that in there because no, well, um, not at all. I mean, that whole thing—the biggest band in the world and the biggest band ever by nineteen sixty-four. It's not a great marketing campaign. The from the day dot, those records were killer yeah. and miles ahead. Arguably, I mean, it's music we're talking about. It's not a running race. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. You can't. How do you measure it? But really, but, I mean, you measure it by sales, and I mean, and you measure it by by you know how by many fans people and like how many people are influenced. And I mean, and Subscribe. that's the thing. Like you're saying, it's not just. The music, the, you know, the albums they record and the songs. It's how they were recorded. I mean, they changed. Not just music in terms of what music is, but how music is recorded and how studios been used forever, more than anyone else, you know. Yeah. So I mean, anyway, just thought I'd throw that in there. That's to me, that's just a mind mind blowing kind of thing. Yes. What they achieved yeah. in a handful of years. Anyway, back to back to Hard Day's Night intro. No, that's cool. That's cool. <clears> that's <throat> awesome and absolutely. Well, the, the opening chord, like we said, super effective. There's a lot of talk about how that happened, what's in there. There's obviously some guitars, there's the bass. Um, there's also some piano, which is sort of hard to hear, but it's in there. Um, I've read that there are some drums in there, but I don't know if I can hear them. Um, but there's a lot of, lot of stuff going on. Have you guys ever played this song on a gig? No. I've I've done it in some cover bands and it's in the key of G and I always did like a D7 sus4 or something. I knew it wasn't the the chord, but I didn't know what else to do and it was it was sort of part of it, but this is this is what I've what I've found out. And again, this this could be questioned, but 
George Harrison has said he played an F add nine chord, so like a F chord with a, a G on top. Yeah. So he played that. Um, John Lennon played reportedly a D sus four chord, and Paul played a D note on the bass on the third string fifth fret or second string open, however you want to play it. So. Yeah. You could you could work out a name for that. There's a really great video actually by Randy Backman from Backman Turner Overdrive, um, yeah. where he does this live and he explains that he goes, okay, I'm going to play the F add nine, and he gets these other guitarists to do something else. He gets a bass player to play the D, and he counts them in, and they do it, and it's pretty much the chord. It's it's spine tingling to yeah. to hear it um, produced live. So. I don't know. Maybe after the show, the three of us can do that as well. That would be fun <laughs> yeah. after party. But it's it's just it's just astounding um, sonically and harmonically and yeah. Um, and I wonder was John detuning at that point because you know he used to tune detune a little bit so his grandma knew who it was <laughs> when it was him playing in the songs. So That's there's really- probably that little you know discordant detuned uh, thing to it too that gives it that character. Could be. Because, yeah, he was doing that pretty early on, I think. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's mysterious aspects of the chord and stuff, I guess, people have worked out. But whatever, it's just super cool. Super, super cool. Um, The guitar solo is uh, George on a 12 string electric and it's double speed. It's, well, it was recorded at half speed and then sped up. Oh, Instagram people wouldn't like that nowadays. That's <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny what we think is fast and what we don't think is fast in guitar playing. Like these days, oh, yeah. you can YouTube a 10-year-old playing Eruption easily. You could find oh, people yeah. doing crazy stuff like that. But um, at the time, yeah, the solo was perhaps considered humanly impossible, but he had a vision for what he wanted to sound like and, yeah. and uh, made it happen. But in that Rick Rubin special, Paul goes to John's credit. He used to play that like live. Yeah, you know? right. He didn't. He didn't have the chance to play it half speed. He said he'd watch him like playing that whole song all the way through. Yeah, and then yeah, do yeah, the yeah. solo, going, "Oh my god, there's so much." You know, <laughs> what a trooper! Absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, there is a BBC live recording of that, and they actually drop in the recorded version of. Oh, really? The solo, and then they go back into the song live. It's really weird. Oh, wow. okay. It's it's bizarre. It's on one of those BB live at the BBC, but obviously BBC's they had a- they had all the uh, technology of the BBC at their hand there. So, like as you're saying, Rob, he would have had to pull it off live otherwise. So. Yeah, but I cool. might try it's- it out. I might try it out on my new double neck. Yeah, man. <laughs> Today's show is brought to you by Rob's new double neck. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's that's the first moment. I'm going to ha- hand over to Rob now. Octopus's Garden, man. Tell us about that. Oh, like there's there's a couple of songs that if you're having a bad day <clears throat> or you want to lift and you want to start the day right, you put it on. Yeah, For me, yeah. one of them is September by Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, yeah. Nice. And the other one is this, Octopus's yep. Garden. You cannot help. But just I like just thinking about it now. I'm smiling from ear to ear. I just <laughs> yeah. it's just the most beautiful song. Ringo sings it, and yeah. it's just in pure Ringo fashion. Um, was written um, with the aid or assistance of George Harrison. I actually think on the get back thing, you can see where they're starting to put it together. They were putting it back. You know, they were going through it then. Um, 
because, you know, for all that happened on Get Back and it looked like the Beatles were going to break up, three months later they went in and recorded Abbey Road. Yeah. So, you know, Go my God, it's like we're out of... Oh, I mean, they worked just, so hard. I mean, they, they really, they worked a lot. Yeah, it's astounding. So, basic, I just want to say the intro is obviously the iconic guitar moment. Yeah. It's, um, it's you know, that major guitar lead rhythm thing. It's very country-esque. Uh, and then the solo is great too. And actually the, the rhythm track underneath, how it builds with the solo is just pure songwriting like magic. It's a unicorn. This song is a unicorn. <laughs> I'm calling it now. Um, but, yeah, the basic instrumental track was recorded on the 26th of April, 1969, um, with the Beatles lineup, two electric guitars, Harrison and Lennon. McCartney was on bass and Ringo on star, uh, Ringo on drums. Um, backing vocals by McCartney and Harrison during the solo were put through compressors and limiters to create the gurgling sound. And at Star's request, Harrison added the sound of bubbles blowing through a straw into a glass of milk. Um, As you do. So look, it's got it's got sound effects, it's got Ringo, it's got great guitar, and it's got a milkshake. Like <laughs> it's the perfect pop song. It's just beautiful. And I'll fight anyone to the death. Who thinks otherwise? And I mean, if you get anything out of watching Get Back, it's that they they were goofing around so much in the studio. Yeah, oh. it's and and I mean that's where blowing <laughs> into a <laughs> through a straw into a glass of milk, you know, where that comes from. I but, mean, yeah. what what song was it on Get on Get Back where they were singing without opening their mouth? They had to, t- <laughs> and they were looking at each other, and they sang the whole song. With their teeth together, you know, stuff like that. It's just, I don't know. They're just, yeah. it's funny. It's, and we're going to get into things like that where they just, they did 16 takes of a song over seven hours. And you know how much they fooled around in between. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that, that is my number one, like Beatles song. Um, nice. To just give you a pick me up at any time, no matter what you're going through. Just Absolutely. Put it on, play it. Love it. All right, Gabor, I'm only sleeping. Okay, so I'm only sleeping. Um, um, off Revolver, 1966. Yeah. Now, again, only three years really after they formed. And if you listen to the difference in, you know, what Revolver sounds like and what, you know, the early record sounds like, it's it's completely different. And, I mean, Revolver, um, consider one of the most influential albums of all times and it yeah. inspired, you know, so many other genres of music. Uh, now, I'm Only Sleeping, and, and actually one of the other songs I picked as well, they sort of work hand in hand, but um, I picked I'm Only Sleeping because it's the first, apparently, um, the first ever time uh, that a backwards guitar was um, on a recording, pop recording that was released. Oh, really? Wow. And um, the only reason it was this song, because actually the other song I picked was the one that was recorded first, but the only reason this was out first is because due to the American record label, which was Capitol, um, they released albums differently to U- to the UK because they certain songs they didn't want and certain, I don't know, anyway, there was this, uh, the whole first, I don't know, six or seven albums, they 
did different tracks on the albums. And uh, about two months before um, Revolver came out uh, in the US, an album came out called Yesterday and Today, which is an album that only came out in the US, which featured a whole bunch of songs that weren't on other US versions of albums prior to Revolver. And it also featured two songs, if you know what I mean. And it features two songs that were on Revolver, which is coming out two months later in the UK. Mm. And this was one of them. Um, And it was a single, it released as a single, and it was the first time people heard a backwards guitar solo or backwards guitar part in a song, even though it was actually the second song that was recorded with a backwards guitar part. Mm. The other song being the one coming up that I'm going to be talking about later on. But so basically, um, um, uh, uh, where was I? Yeah, so it was it was uh, it's credited as a Lennon McCartney song, but it was primarily a John Lennon song. Um, the uh, backwards guitar part was played by George Harrison and was meticulously planned out by George Harrison. And there's a quote somewhere um, saying where he he spent five or six hours doing take after take after take, trying to meticulously work out uh, while they were playing the tape the of the the main part backwards he was trying to play the song forward and working out exactly when to do the changes so it was really meticulously um um worked out uh yeah so it took a five hour late night recording session for george harrison to record the two reverse guitars for the solos so he recorded two parts one was a fuzz um guitar and one was a, a clean guitar um and uh, so the, the tape of the main track was running backwards so that when he reversed it, it was fit the dreamlike mood. Um, mm. and, and also, another little fun fact for Revolver, there was the first album um, the Beatles ever recorded where they used headphones to do overdubs. And apparently that was something that was not done prior to that. Mm, which, really? And wow. one of the reasons they used headphones is because of the backwards stuff because otherwise the bleed, would have it wouldn't have worked. And then it became a studio thing in future after that. But it was it was the first time ever the Beatles used headphones. And I think all the the engineers and, and, and George Martin, when they were mixing it and producing it, they said, Oh, this is so much better without all the bleed. Let's right. do this from now on. <clears throat> Let's do it. That's great. That is awesome. All right. Now, Move moving along. My my next choice was something. The George Harrison song. Uh, from Abbey Road in 69, the, the, the final album. And um, again, two, two moments in here I want to highlight. Um, the first is McCartney's super, super melodic bass lines. Mm. Um, I mean, so influential on so many bass players, uh, that, that style that he brought into those tunes. And if you listen to his lines, especially in between the vocals, like he really picked his moments. He wasn't just shredding over the whole ballad. He was picking his spots and doing it so beautifully in those in those verses especially so super cool and that that tone he had from the oh sorry just bumped some gear and that tone he pulled from that really woody open sort of tone he pulled from I'm pretty sure it must have been the Hoffner bass on that oh, yeah track. it would have yeah um I think unless I'm wrong but this beautiful beautiful tone and then, of course, there's George's guitar solo, which uh, reportedly, again, similar to 
to the last tune you were speaking of, Gabor. Um, apparently, Harrison spent a lot of time on the solo, um, wanted to get it just just so, and um, I think it's one of the most beautiful guitar solos you, you could hope to hear. It's the phrasing and the tone. Um, but just one wonderful. <laughs> I had a friend describe it as a vulnerable sounding guitar solo in some ways, mm. which I thought was an interesting. The whole song, I think, it's just, it's just, I think it's yeah. one of their best songs. For if sure. there is such a thing, I mean, again, send hate mail. <laughs> but yeah. uh, I think it's, it, 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 it is up there as I reckon one of their best songs. Um, uh, I'm with you on that. I'm absolutely, and it's, with and, and absolutely it's, uh, it's actually it's, and George Harrison, like struggling George to Harrison, get his yeah. material on the records. Yeah, what a tune! Yeah, I think and he had it's to work hard most... for it. I think. Yeah. I think it's the most covered Beatles song of all time as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like by, by other artists. Yeah. So, yeah, I got to play it once at a wedding on a wedding gig. Um, you guys know what it's like on a wedding gig. You know, you might get a request for the waltz or the the bridal waltz or the, the father and the bride. Which dance, is never a waltz. Is the... <laughs> never a waltz. No. <laughs> and neither was this. It was in four. Uh, but this yeah. was the bridal waltz, and um, I was so happy to learn this song and and uh, and do the solo. Do you know what? Whenever I play a Beatles song on a gig, um, and it's got a solo, and I try and I try and nail it as best I can. At the end of the solo, I just think, George, you are the man. You're you're the guy. Like, I think very underrated, very very underrated guy. Even within the Beatles, very underrated guy. You know. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 And and uh, yeah, beautiful player. Just the the stuff. His song. I think his songs. It's so nice to to to. You know, you have the the Lennon McCartney powerhouse of. I mean, yeah, arguably one of the greatest songwriting duos of all times. But then you have Harrison coming through with these songs, which are quite different. But yeah, yeah, I think just really beautiful songs. He 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 became by the end of the Beatles a. A, a great songwriter and great player. Yeah. yeah, that the Leslie sound on that on something is amazing. His phrasing, yeah. oh, the lyrics, yeah. you know, we're supposed to be talking about great guitar moments, but they're just great song moments. And that yeah. the little yeah. motif, the melody at the beginning, it's just perfect. You know, it's uh, yeah, yeah, it's like you get when you get George in the Beatles, it's it's the best of him, yeah. you know. It's not. There's no filler with George, and similar with the Ringo stuff. You know, you get the comedy, and you get, you know, the happiness yeah, yeah. side of him. You get his personality, but this is George's personality, and yeah, it's a wonderful song. And I love again yeah. in in Get Back. I mean, you could see the the beginnings of that song in Get Back. And I loved the the and he was like, "Oh, John, I'm stuck with the words there. Well, just say pomegranate, <laughs> 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 something in a way she moves uh, uh, like no other. What could I say there? Oh, pomegranate. <laughs> <laughs> I just loved the way it was. Just it was fantastic. But seeing that sort of the beginnings of that song, yeah, in, in, during during get yeah, back was, it, was great. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, yeah. it's almost like um, sacred with a with a lowercase s, but sacred space a special space that yeah you know we yeah. wouldn't usually see it's like when they do the i guess with the mccartney 321 or any of those classic albums when you, they pull back all the faders or they solo just yeah. one part in a song that you've loved all your life it's like oh my goodness yeah it's, it's pretty special. special yeah 
And you can hey, hear we- it. Oh, I just wanted to add that um, the way they mixed, it's so different when you listen to them in mono. You can hear everything in mono because it's mm. mixed and EQ'd perfectly for everything to sit there. When it goes spreads to stereo, you lose some stuff. So then when yeah. you come back and listen to them in mono, you go, oh, there it is. Like it's yeah. all there. So yeah. Yeah. it's a good little project for someone if they want to pick apart the Beatles, go to the stereo and the mono mixes. It's really interesting. Yeah. All right, Rob, Helter Skelter, not dissimilar? Well, if <laughs> um, oh, this is the uh, the exact polar opposite of Octopus's Garden. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, this is from, and there's going to be a bit of a theme here because uh, this is our 68's White Album and it was written by Paul McCartney uh, primarily um, but credited, obviously, Lennon McCartney, which is a, a theme through all of this. They just shared everything. Yeah. Um, McCartney was inspired to write Helter Skelter after reading an interview with Pete Townsend of The Who where he described their September 67 single, I Can See For Miles, as the loudest, rawest, dirtiest song The Who had ever recorded. So Paul McCartney just ba- basically went, here, hold my beer. And... Um, <laughs> wrote Helter Skelter. Um, it obviously features Paul on lead vocal and it's a great rock vocal, uh, yeah. backing vocal, and he plays lead and rhythm guitar on this. And you've got uh, Ring- Ringo at the end on lead vocals that, I got blisters on my thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because apparently there were a lot of takes of this song as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Lennon's just doing backing vocals, six-string bass on this and some sound effects through a tenor saxophone mouthpiece. As you do. Um, And he also plays the piano on this. Harrison's backing vocals, lead and rhythm guitar and slide guitar. Um, Ringo drums and that vocal shout that Gabor just alluded to. (laughs) And Mal Evans is on trumpet. Um, This has a real like dissonant, angry, discordant, however many like little ways I can describe how kind of off-kilter this is to the Beatles. It's quite a simple song and it's a yeah. great little descending, you know, riff, the A and then down to E. Um, yeah, yeah. I, am not, I am not the theory guy here as people listening will probably have gotten, so I'm yeah, just yeah. going to leave that to those guys. But I have played and loved singing this song um, it's a great song. It's got a good little solo in there. And I just, I don't know. I love the attitude of this song, like the screaming. It's just, it's its rock and roll at its best, yeah. at its finest. Um, how about you guys got any thoughts on this one? Uh, only, I mean, amen to everything you've said. Um, only that I've, I've heard this song described as proto-metal, which it kind okay. of is. Yeah, and it was it was twisted by a certain like psychopath that we won't name, um, and adopted as his sort of theme song. But um, some cover versions of note. So Aerosmith covered this song, many Beatles songs. They did a cover of uh, "Come Together" as well, a good cover of that. But 
I want people to go out and listen to a version that Bon Jovi did. Bon Jovi did it. I was just about to say. Live in Times Square for the These Days promo tour. Yeah. For MTV Music Awards. They did a fantastic version. so good. And they they don't play the whole song. It leads into something for the pain um, where Richie plays – Funny enough, an electric sitar, which is it's almost the perfect kind of meshing of the two songs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's some great covers of this song, and but really, this is the quintessential version. Um, it's just uh, yeah, I think I've some I can't say any more than I've already said. Any any yeah. did you did you fish any um, information on 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 what they were using or gear to get that? That distorted sound, that because it's quite a f- angry distorted sound. Yeah, I didn't really go deep diving too that, big okay. on the on the gear because there's so much stuff on the Beatles gear out there that people can, you know, explain and talk about better than I can. But yeah. obviously there was tone bem- benders and Vox amps and all that sort of stuff, and we know that Epiphones at that time were everywhere in the studio, so I can imagine. That's um that's what they were using, and overdriving the the tube mic preamps as well to get extra saturation and distortion. I I, I think might be talking about that later on in one of the other songs as well. Yeah, and yeah, I think we're also going to talk about in that song how they cut the speakers. Oh yeah, um, yeah to yeah. get distortion as well, which was a trick that the Kinks used as well. But um, yeah, that that's Helder Skelter. Yeah, yeah, awesome man. This episode is brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott, ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and the McNally Smith College of Music. I was one of the beta testers for the course and can say as a music educator, I was really impressed by the logical sequence of learning. The course has also been endorsed by players such as Brett Garson and Greg Cup. For more details, check out the links in our show notes. All right, Gabor, all my loving. Okay, so this is going the other direction again. Um, so this yeah. was off with the Beatles, uh, their second album, I think, in 1963, um, which was the second album they released in 1963. Yeah. Um, I always yeah, had maybe. a thing for this song. I always liked this song. Um, I, I love the bass line, the walking bass line. I love that sort of triplet feel guitar that, that John's doing. Um, oh, I love the Ch- Chad Atkins style. The Chad Atkins style solo. Um, yep. I just always had a thing for that. You know, it's it's just uh, I don't have a huge amount on it. Uh, so um, it was uh, again credit to Leonard McCartney, but mostly McCartney. This one, mm-hmm. it was recorded on July 30, nineteen sixty three, in eleven takes with three overdubs. Wow. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, Really, just have any of you guys ever played that song live? No. To keep those triplets going it. all the way through, <laughs> it's not. It's hard. Oh, yeah. It's really hard. Sorry, we're saying Matthew. Was- I've done. Well, I've done it in an acoustic duo sort of setting, so I didn't have to okay. do that part. Just we just kept it sort of shuffling. But yeah, absolutely. I, there, John's part is just full on. But how? How awesome is it in the track? It's just yeah, it, it makes us. It, it's just it's again. It's just the way it all blends together. You know the the cool walking bass line, um, yeah, that triplet sort of guitar. That then then 
George playing a m- much more straightforward thing over it, and then going into yep. that almost country solo, yeah. which is a yeah. really cool solo as well, which kind of goes some in a different direction to the rest of the song. Which is I I, totally. I just always had a thing for that song. It's just um, and he played a um, a Gretsch six one one two country gentleman for that solo. So. Perfect. Very Perfect chat. Nice. That song too. It's, it's it's early Beatles. It's very cheerful, but there's also just some very clever harmonic stuff going on as well. Like in the yeah. chorus, that the major minor chord, all that sort of piano, and um, and there's the sweetness. Piano. <laughs> <laughs> there's the sweetness, but there's the 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 twists and turns, which. Get you oh. right in the feels, and I love how uh, then in the is it in the second chorus it's actually George comes in singing harmony. John, I don't think John sings much at all in that song. I think George comes oh, okay. in singing the harmony in the second chorus, which wasn't in the first chorus. It's just interesting again the way they arranged it and the way they produced it. Uh, um, yeah, just very clever. Yeah, very clever. Beautiful. Even just, for one of their more straight ahead songs, they're still yeah. I mean, it is cool it is stuff. it is one of those you know. Grey suits with tie and you know bobbing the head thing from the early Beatles days, yeah. but um, I don't know. It's just one of those songs. I, I always loved the sound of the guitars and I loved the way it sounded and the whole song how it came together. Yeah, yeah, great. Solution. All right, my next song is Blackbird, the McCartney oh, tune. It. It's from the White Album. It's sublime, like yeah, amazing. So. Um, if- if you didn't wouldn't have picked it, I would have picked that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what yeah. I would definitely pick. Yeah, man, it's the the guitar part is is relatively simple to play. If you're an intermediate guitarist, you can play it, but you got to be a genius to come up with it. I reckon just oh, the way yeah. the voicings are used and yeah, um, yeah, you know, a lot of the chords are happening on two strings with the it's in the key of G, so the the G strings ringing out, but the a lot yeah. of the harmonies happening on the um, the fifth and second string, um, or the sixth and second. So, um, I mean, you can look up a tab anywhere for it, but it's just, just very clever and beautiful song. And again, um, some nice harmonic twists and turns, which uh, for me makes the Beatles songs um, very, very special. So, Blackbird. You know, I think love- McCartney. Sorry, no, I think no, no. McCartney played the McCartney played the guitar part for that. Yeah, he did. He by and sang, yeah, and just, sang and and yeah. tap tapped his foot and tapped his foot. How good's the foot tap in that? <laughs> foot tap makes it. It's really cool. It's just yeah. such a sparse song, but it's just so beautiful. And it's it's a song uh, um, to this day when I because I, I I teach guitar. If if someone yeah. who you know is not at a super beginner level, but sort of you know next level up, yeah, wants to yeah. get into finger finger style playing, finger pick finger picking. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the first songs I usually go for, and it's amazing how many younger kids kind of go, "Oh, that's really cool," you know. Yeah, and they it love it. Kind of gets yeah. them into the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great awesome. song. It's a gateway drug. It is the gateway <laughs> drug song. <laughs> All right, Rob. This could be the biggest guitar moment. I don't know. It's it's it says the word guitar in it anyway. While my guitar gently weeps. All right, so this is another one from the White Album. Um, it's getting plenty of representation. Uh, 68 yeah. double album. Um, this one was written by George Harrison. Yeah. Um, and it was an exercise in randomness inspired by the Chinese I Ching. Is that how you say it? Anyway, okay. Um, 
I'm not as good at that as Gabor is of German names. Rammstein. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and and all the band members too, mind you. And his French is pretty good. His pronunciation of French is pretty good oh. too. Oh. <laughs> Your play. It's French for yogurt. Croissant. Uh, mm -hmm. You just gotta watch Flight of the Concords. Yeah, oh, that's so good. <laughs> um, so the song conveys his dismay at the world's unrealized potential for universal love. Um, so George double tracked vocals, the backing vocal, acoustic guitar, and the Hammond organ. John's on electric guitar, the tremolo um, that you hear in the track. Mm. Paul's yeah. on the harmony, vocal, piano and bass Ringo Starr on drums and tambourine And of course on lead guitar, Eric Clapton So yes. um, Eric and George were friends um, It was The lead guitar part was played on that famed Les Paul named Lucy um, Which You can um, see in the Get, was a uh, gift. get Back video yeah, it was a it gift a from Clapton to Harrison and, um, yeah, it was used a lot on those sessions. Um, but, yeah, at first Eric was like, he didn't want to come in and do it. He's like, no one plays on Beatles records. It's just you guys. Um, but George convinced him to do it um, and he really wanted uh, Clapton there because it, it seemed to lift everybody else's performance as well. Um, so apart from that, Clapton, you can hear the very speed that they used quite a lot because Eric didn't, he wanted it to sound more beatle He's like, I don't want it to yeah, sound like me. Yeah. I want it to fit with the band. Um, so yeah, they used the ADT circuit with very, very speed, um, with Chris Thomas manipulating the oscillator to, a, to achieve that wobbly effect. Um, and yeah. That it's again George at his melancholic best. Um, it's beautiful, beautiful song. Um, the key change, transient to the what would you call it? Pre-chorus. It's not really a chorus. Um, bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Section. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just beautiful. He gets into that um, falsetto part of his voice. Sounds amazing. Um, again, there's some killer cover versions of this song out there that I'm sure we've all heard. Um, Friends, come on, that's just another callback <laughs> to Jeff, the Jeff Healy band. There's a great, they do a great cover, and um, I, I can't speak highly enough of that cover. It's great. Toto do a wonderful cover of it. Um, yeah. a local guy. Oh, so Peter Northcote. Shout out to Peter Northcote. Who, um, check out his Twitch coat. Um, Twitch channel. Definitely. Um, you can request him play it. Friend of the show. Friend of the yeah. show. Onk, onk. Um, <laughs> yeah, he streams via Twitch uh, three times a week and you can request him play it. And he plays that. He, he does it the only way Pete can do it and it's, that's a great yeah, version. But I would be remiss to mention what Gabor just uh, alluded to the Hall of Fame yeah. performance, um, which included Tom Petty, Jeff Lynne, Steve Winwood, Donnie Harrison, Steve's son, Steve Ferroni on drums. And at that version has been immortalized now by Prince's solo. Yeah. And yeah. all the mystery around that, where the where guitar did, goes when he throws it in the air. But there is an angle where you see where it goes, and it kind of 
when you do see that angle, it kind of destroys it. Destroys I wish I, the, the, I, yeah, wish I didn't mystique. see it. I don't, <laughs> don't go looking for that angle. Um, yeah. But all of that aside, the Beatles version stands well and truly on its own. Um, I won't say head and shoulders above because um, there are some great versions of it out there, but the original is the best and it's one of the first times the Beatles invited someone else into the studio other than, you know, George Martin and string players and horn players, but someone to play a lead part and, um, yeah, it's a real kind of exclamation point on on the White Album for me. This And for most guitar players, it's a great exercise in chord changes and structure, harmony and melody. It's just, it's a beautiful song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Definitely. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Um, hey, that Prince version, just going back to it, one thing I love about that is, um, yeah, you got Petty and Lynn and, Darny Harrison is just loving it so they're just they're just blown away by Prince and these are guys that have been around they've seen everything and they're just digging Prince's solo so much oh, he every just, time he takes he another just, chorus of it it's amazing it's just just amazing how he just he completely took control of that stage and he was just yeah i mean yeah yeah, I mean Prince. There's another guy we should we could do a, a podcast like this, you know. Yeah, uh, like the Beatles. There's another guy who's just, I mean, talk about someone on a different level to the rest of the world. But yeah, just yeah. It just just how he just took control and then just the, the coolest way ever to end. Just chuck the guitar <laughs> in the air and walk off. I mean, just so, just everything about it is just just awesome. That's just sorry, but I'm, I'm a massive Prince fan too. Yeah, so, me know, too. And there's some behind the scenes yeah. interviews with Tom Petty, how he was talking about, they weren't sure, like, because he was like, oh, you just play it. And they rehearsed, they didn't really rehearse it. And yeah. Prince wasn't there in rehearsal or something. And I'm like, oh, it's okay. I'll just. And they were really doubtful about what it was going to be. So, again, like we were talking previously about um, on the on the iconic live albums episode where. It might get loud where the Edge and Jack White are just smiling ear to ear at Jimmy yeah. Page showing how he played Whole Lot of Love. Yeah. That <clears throat> these guys are just they're ear to In ear awe, smile. Yeah. They can't believe what's happening. And yeah. they're like little kids on stage, like oh, giggling like Beato interviewing Sting <laughs> or Tommy Emmanuel. You know, like yeah. just giggling like a child. And it's yeah. That pulls you into those moments and, yeah. and that's what makes them so, air quotes, iconic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. What's All next, right, Matt? next song. Gabor, you've got Taxman. Uh-huh. So I, I, you guys seem to be sort of hovering around the White Album. I seem to be hovering around Revolver a lot, unintentionally. Mm-hmm. But um, So Taxman, um, again, it's a George Harrison track, which there, there seem to be a few of them mm. um, in this. Yeah, uh, which is, you know, quite a rarity, really, in, in in the Beatles world. And I think Revolver was sort of one of the first times when there were some Harris, George Harrison tracks on. I, I don't think he's done. Was there much before? I don't think I so. I think that was the there first was... time there was George Harrison songs on 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 the album. Um. Uh. So the song basically, just a little bit of background information. The song was written about. Um, UK taxes tax system at the time 
um, uh, with uh, new prime minister being elected, all this stuff happening, but um, in a landslide win apparently. But uh, pretty much these tax systems where guys, you know, in that sort of tax bracket, high income tax bracket, almost going bankrupt, you know, because you earn so much money and you pay up to 90% tax yeah, yeah. on what you make. So it was basically, and there's, you know, all these little tongue-in-cheek comments. And they even he even mentions the, I didn't write down what the names were, and I can't remember, but he, he mentions the prime minister and the leader of the opposition, like, by name in it, you know. Okay. As, and it's said, you know, th- one for me, 13 for you, one for me, you know, kind of thing, all that sort of stuff yeah. that's, in, that's mentioned in it. Because um, it really drove a lot of artists out of the UK, didn't it? So Yeah, yeah. People started building studios in the West Indies or you know wherever you know to just to get out. Even even a few years later, there's 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 some stories which which I've heard uh, uh, um, from uh, relatively well known Australian musicians uh, when you know bands like Duran Duran came here uh, because they fled right. the whole tax thing in in the UK and they came yeah. they recorded <laughs> you know albums in Australia because they you know anyway uh, yeah it, it wasn't. Tanks- Taxation refugees. Taxation <laughs> refugees. Um, so another thing with Taxman, it was uh, it's recognised as one of the first songs written that sort of a major artist release written about topical concerns, hmm. uh, and a lot of people think that song and its sort of abrasive sneer that's a, under quotation mark uh, like a quote is considered a precursor to the punk movement later on and it being sort of one of the songs that originated punk music talking about political things talking about issues um in that respect Definitely, and kind of yeah. almost being a bit punkish about it right yeah it makes sense yep. um uh and then of course famously so George Harrison as we've heard through other songs that he's uh spent a lot of time working out solos on he apparently spent hours and hours and hours trying to work out the solo. It didn't go the right way. Paul McCartney seemed to kind of get in there a lot and kind of give suggestions and say, maybe you should try this, maybe you should try that. When it got to the point when Harrison just said, well, you just do it. Uh, why don't you try it? <laughs> yeah, and he yeah. did. He did. Uh, and sort of the solo on there uh, is is a, uh, is Paul McCartney playing the solo. Um, and there's a quote saying, Harry said, uh, Harrison said he was happy to have the song recorded for Revolver and was not fussed about who played guitar in the solo. He added, I was pleased to have him play on that. Um, if you notice, he even did a little Indian bit in it for me. So there's a little harmonic minor <laughs> yes. kind of sounding thing in it. They kind of um, one string the pull-offs and things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, that's sort of one of the things. The thing I always liked about that song, and I think, again, there's some rumours that maybe – um, it had something to do with that. It always reminded me of Batman, you know, that there's yeah. that the um The rhythm of it. The rhythm of it da da you know, in the middle yeah. of it. Batman. And it always reminds me of Batman. Yep. <laughs> and apparently there's rumors that there was also they, they were kind of thinking of it almost like the tax man as like a superhero like Batman. And it was like you know, like the 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 tax the tax uh guy superhero or anti superhero. Um so yeah, I, I don't know. Those, is, sorry? Is it the Hendrix chord as well on that? Tax There's a Hendrix band? chord in there, yeah, yeah. That's when it that that it's a major minor that that sharp uh, seven sharp nine or whatever it is that Hendrix chord. Yeah, yeah so yeah. that's at that down. So you got that, yeah. 
Batman plus the Hendrix chord. Like, yeah, Hendrix what could Batman. be better than that? Exactly. <laughs> and Paul going nuts. That and solo, back to the solo, Paul goes wild on that too because we know yeah. we know he loved Hendrix and he, he, he loved the energy. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it was cool what he brought to that solo. Yeah, it's definitely different. It's a di- very different solo um, to, to anything else Beatles recorded, I think. Yep. Great oh. tune, man. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, we're down to our final three uh, three Beatles guitar iconic moments. Bum, so, bum, bum. Batman. Okay. <laughs> revolution. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm revolution. talking about a revolution. Uh, now, the song Revolution, great tune. What I want to talk about is the fuzz tone that mm. that was pulled on this. Not revolution number nine, but revolution. Um which was played, the guitar part, I believe, was played by John. And how did he get that great fuzz tone? He just plugged straight into the board, cranked it like crazy. Bam. There's your, there's your tone. Now, Gabor, Gabor, your people can't see, but you've got 700 pedals sitting behind you. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, you know, co- co-host of the super fun, awesome, happy time pedal show. Um, yeah. 2021, like fuzz, surely we're at peak fuzz appreciation in terms of oh, yeah. what fuzz pedals have been doing on the last couple of years. Are there any pedals that kind of try and mimic that vibe? Yeah, yeah. There's actually there, there, there's a bunch of them. I think one of the first, first one was the, the um, Hudson Electronics broadcast. And actually, also JHS did one. Um, color box. The color box, which yeah. is is like a Neve oh, console yeah. kind of thing in a box. But yeah, there's a couple of them now that came out. Actually, even uh, another friend of the sh- did you talked to Andrew uh, McDonald, didn't you? Mostronics, Andrew. Yeah, you Moz, talked to him, didn't you? Yes, Moz. Yeah. Yep. Friend of the uh, show. He he just did Bonk one up. that's kind of a little bit along that line. That line as well. Um, um, yeah, that, that it's it's a different sort of sound, uh, but it's a cool sound that going direct. And I think we talked about it actually a little bit on the Saint Vincent episode as well, because she did that for that yes, album bit. Because she was a fan of those direct, yeah, plugging direct straight into the, the console and 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 I think uh, with that because um, there were tube mic preamps, a lot of them as well. Um, and when you crank them, yeah, you get sure. that sort of tube saturation on top of it as well. So. Um, and another, it's a cool sound. Another Prince mentioned too, because he used to record direct yeah. in a, a lot console of it direct, for a lot yeah. of stuff too. Yeah. Absolutely. Actually, a lot of people did it. Surprisingly, lots of people kind of did it, mm. going straight yeah. into the console. Yeah. Uh, great Prince quote. I know we're talking about Prince a lot in the Beatles episode, but um, <laughs> there was some quote they said like, are you are you trying to compress it or uh, limit it or what are you doing when you when you plug straight in? He goes, man, I just want to electrify it. Yeah. <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> he was the coolest dude ever, quote. Prince. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Revolution Fuzz, great intro by John. Like, John, maybe, you know, an underrated guitar player in his own right as well. There's, there's been some cool John moments in, I think uh, so. in this episode. And I think also, if you, again, going back to Get Back, because, I mean, that sort of, I guess, semi-sparked this episode, didn't yeah. it? But um, yeah, totally. he did a lot more stuff that I never thought he did. I always a lot of the stuff that he, I always thought George did, but he yeah, actually well, did get a lot back, of it. That's all to him doing all those little things, it, the solo. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 played a lot more than 
then I I ever thought I thought of him more just as a more the singer who plays yeah you know acoustic guitar or electric guitar you know but he actually did a lot he did quite a bit I guess that's one of the great things about the Beatles isn't it they you know they would share vocal duties or different instruments or different different they were all quite capable on the piano um, yeah they were all quite capable on the basics <laughs> I think for um the, the two things that I took out of the get back. The two major things I took out of the Get Back documentary was how amazing Ringo was as a team member. Yeah. You know, he just sat there. Yawning. You know, doing his thing. <laughs> and when he needed to play, he played. When he, he didn't, played. he yeah. just took it all in. And then he yeah. was, you know, coming up with things in his mind as well, what would be right for the song. And he'd try different things, but he was just patient because he knew what the end result was going to be. There was no ego that was like, you're not including me, I'm getting out of here. I Call me when you've got something. He was he was yeah. part of the whole process. Even if he didn't put it in, his presence was absolutely part of the recipe. And he, uh, and he wore the coolest clothes. <laughs> oh, mate, he was fantastic. Yes. And then the other thing was that in the first part where they're in the big studio, yeah. Lennon was not into it. Like nah, none not of them really were. They didn't weren't feeling the space. But Paul was trying to work. George was trying to work things out. And Ringo was just doing Ringo. But once things started to come together and they moved to the new spot and John engaged, it was like putting a bullet in a gun. You know, oh, like yeah. they were there and then once he was engaged in what was going on in the songs, whether they were his songs or not, Everything just went forward yeah. at a million miles an hour and he didn't care if he was on bass on that song or piano on that song yeah. or whatever. He was just in the moment and it was like even though there were sparks happening, Paul was getting things going, but it really all came together when they were when all John. present, yeah. you know, and John was yeah. engaged because he was not interested those first couple of weeks nah. at nah. all. No. Nah. But you just saw it change and just being able to see that evolution is amazing. Like, I, I don't know. I, I didn't count how many times I cried through that, but it was multiple. <laughs> and the other thing actually going talking about Get Back, um, the other thing I got out of it is, is, is that Yoko Ono was not in any way, shape or form involved in anything. She just sat there. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot yeah. more made out of it than what it actually was. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, she was just sitting there. Quietly. I mean, it's a bit odd that she was sitting there the whole time. That was a bit odd. But she didn't say anything. She didn't tell John to do stuff or not to do stuff. It's Nah, and there's a there's a Yoko Ono documentary apparently. I haven't seen it yet, but it addresses all of that stuff. And it shows that she was actually the one trying to keep John in the Beatles. She was trying to keep them together through all of that. Yeah. And she, again, she just sat there. She did her knitting. She did her art, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's, when it's so Lynn, funny to watch. <laughs> and the other thing is how, like, beautiful a spirit Linda McCartney was as well. Like, she was amazing foil for them too and just gave them a break and her daughter yeah. um, coming in and just mm. they all had fun, you know. It wasn't this serious. There was no budget. Let's put it this way. Oh, they just, man. <laughs> That's, that's, they, could, that's, they could hang around if they wanted to. That's that was okay. awesome. That in those so days, great. to film that much video footage and to do that much mm. audio footage, holy moly, that's an expensive yeah. undertaking. 
But anyway, amazing. If you haven't seen it, folks, go and yeah, see it. Go it and watch great. it. It's, if you've it was, seen it, it once, really go and watch good. it again. You'll never stop learning. <laughs> All right, Rob, next song. I feel like I can't pronounce this properly. It's not going to sound right unless you have it in a Liverpoolian accent, but it's your blues. Your blues, like as in your, your, your. Yeah. Um, so this is from, again, the White Album. Um, on vinyl, I've got Revolver, I've got Abbey Road, I've got the Blue Hits, um, and yeah, maybe after Christmas I'll have another one. But um, <laughs> uh, the White Album I grew up with, like my parents had every vinyl record, but for some reason I always pulled the White Album out for all the reasons we've gone through already. Um this one, again, was credited Lennon-McCartney, but it was written and composed by Lennon um, during the Beatles' retreat in India. And the song is a parody of blues music, specifically the English imitators of the blues. Uh, so they were recording and things were happening or not happening in Abbey Road and someone made a joke that they would end up in basically what was a tiny little room four by eight that had one of the eight tracks um, in it. And these things were huge. Um, so apparently they all jammed in this tiny little room that if anyone moved, they would have been hit by a guitar neck or something. They faced the amps to the walls in this tiny room and they jammed together from 7 p.m. till 5 a.m. And after 14 takes, this is the th- this is the track. Um, they glued a couple of tracks together. Um, take five, there was a lot of take five in there. Not the band Take Five, they were not born. And not that Take Five either. No, not that Take Five. <laughs> um, so there are three guitar solos performed in the song. Um, the first one being John and he's performing that repetitive syncopated guitar pattern. Um, Simultaneously to an interesting little blues solo from George, the second solo um, is a screeching solo from George with subtle single note um, guitar solo from John Hurd in the background. And the third solo is both guitarists, um, so both George and John um, playing lead solos. Um, and they're adding the artificial double tape tracking, that warbling effect to things too. Um, yeah, it's just a. It, you can hear. I think I didn't note it down, but I think at three minutes sixteen, you can hear where the takes are spliced together in this song. But it's just a dirty blues. It's kind of like a fun intro riff. But you know, it's just, it's a great little ascending, descending pattern um, into like a slow blues. Um, And there's just moments in this song, like vocally, um, it's just, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, It's just a great, dirty blues song with tongue, John Lennon's tongue. Firmly planted in cheek. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, As you often did. And again, yeah, cool that, that the three of them all took solos. Yeah. 
got to got to stretch out a little. It's killer. I realised that I just um, the the riff, the intro riff that I just hummed was Digger Pony. So um, yeah, <laughs> it is uh, midnight, folks. We're recording this just just for <laughs> just for reference. So it's yeah. only eleven where I am. <laughs> All right. Well, it's probably it's probably apt then that Gabor, you finish with our our final uh, moment of iconic Beatles guitar moments with right. "Tomorrow Never Knows." Tomorrow never knows. So because um, we're in tomorrow and you're not, and I never know. Um, <laughs> so again, Revolver, nineteen sixty six. Uh, so this again credited as a Lennon McCartney song, but mostly uh, John Lennon. This one. Um. So this was actually okay. So uh, the Beatles started recording um, uh, uh, Revolver. They took for the first time, really, since they started in '63. So this is '66. There's only three years into them being together. For the first time, they took some time off. They took three whole months off. So they've worked nonstop the whole first three years, basically. Took three months off at the start of 1966 after the tour for Rubber Soul, the prior album. Uh, and in Rubber Soul, they started really experimenting with the studio as part of an instrument. And they were kind of fed up with touring. They wanted mm. to stop touring. They wanted to primarily focus on recording and using, utilizing the studio as an instrument. So this was the very first song in the very first session for the Revolver recordings that they did. So that's why before um, the other song, um, what was it called? I'm Only Sleeping that I was talking about which was the first song that had a reverse guitar part that was released. This is actually the first song that was ever recorded with that and that led to the other song having a reverse guitar solo in it as well. Now this, there's tons of stuff in reverse. Mm. Um, and the story goes, apparently, there is no... I, I, can't, I couldn't find any exact reasoning, but apparently there's a story. So... Uh, John Lennon recorded basically a, or had a, or I think recorded at home, like a demo version of the song and brought it in. And the one of the engineers, tape oper operator et, engineers, threaded the tape backwards accidentally. Okay. So the story goes. And it was played back and it played that song backwards. And apparently, something about the chord progression and what he was playing. They all went, this sounds really cool. <laughs> so they started doing it on purpose then, right? So they started re-recording it and, and kind of experimenting with it all, which the way the, the whole song is, it leads to um, basically a lot of historians and people saying this song led to electronic music sampling, basically. This was okay. one of the first times sampling was kind of used. And psychedelic rock and even world music. Um, because of all the stuff that was going on it. So uh, there is uh, sitar, backwards sitar, tambura, which is like that sort of drone instrument, Indian drone instrument going backwards. Some of Ringo Starr's cymbals go backwards. The whole main guitar part goes backwards. There's all this tape looping stuff. And then they overdub bits on separate tapes and then manually added them backwards and forwards and mm. slowing stuff down and but they they played basically tape recorders as an instrument into the main tape uh which was sort of what people said this is sort of 
probably the first instance of sampling to a certain degree. Yeah. Um, also, uh, so the story goes that um, the song was written by John Lennon while taking LSD um, and reading the book, The Psychedelic Experience, a manual ba- based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead, by Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert, or Timothy, Timothy Leary, Richard Alpert, and Ralph Metzner. Uh, and it, it basically tells you in the book, apparently, to take LSD and follow certain steps. And apparently he was doing it, and it, that gave him the idea of the song. Um and it's about meditating and the world and your spirit being one with everything. And so that's kind of um, uh, uh, where all that came from. Now, also, interestingly, the song title, Tomorrow Never Knows, none of those words ever appear within the song. Mm. Uh, and again, it was something for some reason, Lennon, uh, he, he, he in an interview, he said, uh, he remembered Ringo saying something in an... Uh, um, uh, uh, so Ringo said something in an interview in early 1964 uh, Ringo started uttered the phrase tomorrow never know, knows when laughing off an incident that took place at the British Embassy in Washington DC during which one of the guests had cut off a portion of his hair and he uttered the words in a wow. TV interview when they were talking about that tomorrow never knows and John remembered that for some reason <laughs> and used that as the title for the song so again i mean there were some drugs involved kids so don't don't do that kind of stuff drugs are bad okay yeah. but um uh yeah hugs, so ba- not drugs sorry hugs not drugs hugs not drugs exactly no, hugs are bad today man oh yeah you'll get Om- omicron no hugs yeah, true, no drugs true. no hugs uh, no drugs socially distant <laughs> Just shrugs. shrugs. Shrugs, yes, yes. <laughs> emoticons, <laughs> hug emoticons. Yeah. Um, so originally the song, the song was, uh, while they were working on it, it was called Mark One, and it was also known, known as The Void. That was the working titles. Oh, and then yeah. while they were doing the mixing uh, later on, uh, they were going to call it The Void up until the very last minute, but uh, Lennon um, said it would have been... A more suitable title, but it was concerned about its obvious drug use connections. Mm. Um, well, he should have thought of that a lot earlier in the process, man. He should have, he should have. Uh, also, one thing I forgot, so uh, they also put um, Lennon's voice through George Harrison's Leslie Rig. That's oh. part that, hap- that happened there as well. Um, and, and what about the rumour that Alvin from the Chipmunks appears in the background that you can hear? <laughs> Is that really him? Uh, I, I heard it was Theodore. <laughs> okay. It seems more a Theodore thing. Yeah. Yeah. Much more Theodore, yeah, much yeah. less Alvin. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I mean, that's that's uh, the reason sort of I picked it. It's it's uh, it's the whole backwards reverse guitar thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And and again, I mean, Revolver as a whole is sort of considered as one of the most forward-thinking albums that inspired, you know, punk music inspired psychedelic music inspired electronica inspired progressive rock inspired world music uh, i mean it, it was in its day something no one has ever heard before mm. um and again three years after the band started mm. you know to go from i want to hold your hand to that in three years is yeah it's remarkable yeah yeah because i think it was at the first shot basically fired in the 
the little friendly rivalry the Beatles had with the Beach Boys as far as production and ideas and that kind of thing went on. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, I love this. I'm glad you picked this song because I, you know, I would have had it in my list. um, And I'm glad we're talking about it. And none of those other songs missed out. But uh, yeah, it's great. And there's some. The drums. The drums drums are great. The drums are great. So good. And there's that YouTube video of, you know, Dave Grohl going, like, who thinks of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. he's a songwriting drummer. Like yeah. he writes for the song. He's not just writing. You know, they weren't worried about making people dance at this point. They were, you know, they're breaking new ground, and it's great. And one of my favorite cover versions of this song is from the movie soundtrack for Sucker Punch. Um, they okay. do a really great cover of it. I'll have to. Um, um, if you guys keep chatting, I'll find out who it's by. But it's so it's a great version. But I think it's actually from um, the actress in the movie. Yeah, okay, that well, sings it, um, Emily Browning. <clears throat> uh, but it's a great the production. It's it's almost a one for one with new technology. Like it's just beautiful. Okay, I got to check it out. Yeah. Well, a shout out to it. Talking about technology and yeah, that whole idea of playing the studio. The studio is an instrument. Yeah. Like the Beatles owned it and then, like you said, the Beach Boys jumped in and that was a cool back and forth, those next couple of records from both bands. But um, there's an album I loved and I, um, it's, well, it's actually called, it's called Love, The Beatles Love. and it's Oh, yeah, I've got that. It's like the mashup album, um, mainly, uh, mainly put together by Giles Martin. George Martin's son, and it was okay. it was really produced for Cirque du Soleil for their Beatles show. Okay. Um, but um, Giles Martin, he had he had the keys to the kingdom. Essentially, he could he could draw from any any of these tracks and 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 put them together. I think, um, for example, I think the Taxman solo was put in to drive my car. If, I've, okay. if I'm remembering correctly, like just a few little things <clears throat> like that. But it's really, I don't know. It still kind of works. It sounds. It sounds uh, almost heretical to, to remix the Beatles, but you know they kept it in the family, and um, Paul and and Ringo gave the thumbs up, as did uh, Yoko. And oh, I'm I think so... George was still alive then too. Oh uh, yeah, I think his wife was there for the final bits, though. He yeah. might have heard the early ones. I've forgotten her name. Mm. Um, Mrs. Harrison. Yeah, sorry, Mrs. Harrison. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, it kind of got it kind of got the blessing. So yeah, yeah. That, that's a cool record. Yeah, that the documentary for that is great too. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, that that tomorrow never knows version is by Alison Mosshart and Carla Azar. Ah, cool. Uh, okay, gotta check yeah, that out on the Sucker Punch. And that whole soundtrack is killer. Um, it's got Skunk and Nancy on it, and um, Bjork, Smashing Pumpkins. It's a great soundtrack. But what song does, what song does Bjork do? Bjork, she does Army of Me. Okay. I've got to check that out. Yeah. It's a, you'd actually really love that soundtrack. I love the movie too. Um, I'm totally into those types of movies and it, it's a bit of a trip, so it fits in with the Beatles perfectly. Okay. How, how many <laughs> Beatles songs have been covered? Are they, are they the most covered band ever? Um, Quite possibly. If you, don't, if you don't count classical music, I guess. Yeah, I know J- yeah. James Brown is the most sampled artist. Okay, but because um, a lot of hip hop stuff 
you know, samples. Um, they sample a lot of James, James Brown stuff. But yeah, Beatles, I'd imagine it would be. <laughs> imagine. Imagine. Hey. <laughs> boom, boom. All right. Thanks for joining us for another Guitar Speak podcast, Iconic Albums. I've really enjoyed putting these conversations together with Rob and Gabor. And it's been a really cool addition to our podcast show, which uh, every week has deep dive one-on-one interviews as well. That's been our bread and butter for the last five years, and that will be continuing as well. Thanks to Fretboard Biology for sponsoring today's episode. Check out the links in the show notes. All right, my name is Matt Wakeling. You've been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. And in the words of Michael Schenker, German guitarist from UFO, The Scorpions, and MSG, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.